0: Psalms nineteen eleven tells us that if we keep and hold fast to God's word, we will find in that commitment great reward. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to the book of First Peter, where we're going to be looking at a few verses in chapter three. First Peter chapter three. We are studying, if you recall in this book, the essentials of Christianity one oh one. And in this primer on essential Christianity, Peter has currently turned his focus to the issue, the great issue and task of everyday evangelism. I make, that, I make that term everyday evangelism to set it apart from what you might call exceptional evangelism. You know, where God gives you the opportunity to proclaim the gospel in a highly visible and public setting, much like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. No, Peter's focused right now in First Peter on the type of evangelism that's supposed to happen far more often in our lives. Everyday evangelism. Where God gives you the opportunity to proclaim the gospel in a very personal and relational setting. If you need some biblical equivalence, that would be like Priscilla and Aquila in talking to Apollos in Acts 18 26, or the Apostle Paul with Onesimus in Rome, as mentioned in Philemon ten. See, Christ has called all of us in Matthew twenty eight, nineteen through twenty to make disciples as we go about our everyday lives, which means If you've never thought about it before, that means our primary mission field as believers is going to be among those that we already know. Our own spouses, our own children, our siblings, our co-workers, our classmates, our neighbors, our friends, the relationships that God has already given us. God has given us those relationships because the gospel must be given to those relationships. Christ's great commission to us is to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. The people, let me put it this way, who know us the best, warts and all. You know what that means? That means you cannot separate evangelism from your own personal life. You cannot. Everyday evangelism happens in life, and everyday evangelism is affected by your life. How you live as a Christian will either underline the gospel that you profess and proclaim in the relationships closest to you, or it will undermine it. And so Peter takes the entire middle section of this letter on essential Christianity and makes sure that we are underlining the gospel with our lives and not undermining it. So how do we as Christians do that? How do we show ourselves to those who are closest to us as truly set apart, as born again? How do we exhibit a distinctively Christ-like witness in this world? Well, Peter kind of outlined for us uh, how to do that back in chapter 2, verse 17, when he writes that we need to be subject, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and fear God. That's essentially Peter's outline for this whole section. He showed us what it looks like to show proper subjection to our authorities in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And then he showed us what it looks like to honor everyone from chapter 2, verse 17 on into chapter 3, verse 7. And now Peter's transitioned and he's showing us what it looks like to love the brotherhood here in chapter 3, verse 8 into verse 12. Because as those who have been born again into God's family... Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is essential to our gospel witness. This is why Jesus said in John thirteen thirty-five, directly to Peter, our author, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so if we're going to underline the gospel with our lives and not undermine it, then we must know what it actually looks like to love our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can actually do it. And so Peter unpacks for us here in verses 8 through 12 what loving our brothers and sisters in Christ actually looks like. And he shows us the biblical attitude, answer, and advantage of loving one another. The last time we were in First Peter, we looked at that attitude of loving one another there in verse 8 where Peter says, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That is what an attitude of brotherly love looks like. It looks like humility producing unity, and it looks like tenderness producing sympathy. And I didn't get a chance to emphasize this last time, but notice there in verse 8, none of these things that are being called on here are things that you do particularly, are they? They are things that you are. Unity, sympathy, tenderness, humility, those are all attitudes that come from the heart. And so what Peter is calling for here is an inward transformation of character. He's calling on us to exhibit a change in who we are from the inside at the deepest level of our heart. He's calling us really to be new persons. New people that are marked by unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to consider this morning that that is impossible. It really is. Who among us can change our attitudes? It's like when my parents said, do this and do it with a smile, right? How? Right? We can't change our attitudes. We can't change our personalities. We can't even change our very hearts of affection, the things that we love and don't love. It's impossible apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And here we come full circle to back to where Peter began, back in chapter 1, verse 3, of how the Christian life all begins with being miraculously born again and changed by our very natures. See, Jesus is the only one in all of history who has promised to be able to give you a new life and a new heart, and he's proved it by rising from the dead. And now he calls on all of us to come to him in faith so that he can give us what we don't have by ourselves. Namely, forgiveness of sins, eternal salvation, and a change of heart. You must be born again. And if you do, if you come to Christ in faith, Scripture promises that you'll be made a new creation in Christ, a new person with new affections, new ambitions, and new attitudes. In other words, you'll be given in Christ an ever-growing unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. You'll be given this attitude of brotherly love. However, I'd be remiss also not to mention this before I finally move on to our passage today, is even though we possess that attitude in Christ, and it's been given to us, we still need to pursue it. We still need to cultivate it in our own personal lives. That's the reason why this verse, verse 8, exists. is because as Paul says in Philippians 2, 13 through 14, we've got to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because God is now working in us both to will and do his good pleasure. We want the new birth that Christ has given us to be seen by all. And we want this attitude, this new attitude we've been given of loving one another to be clearly demonstrated. And so Peter is helping us to do just that. He's shown us the attitude of loving one another in verse 8. And this morning we're going to consider the answer of loving one another in verse 9. How we ought to respond when a brother or sister in Christ wrongs us. And then finally, next week, we're going to finish by studying the advantage of loving one another in verses 10 through 12. So there we have it. That is the attitude, answer, and advantage of loving one another. So with that in mind out of reverence for the word of God would you please stand with me this morning as we read 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 12 The apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes these words to us today Finally all of you have unity of mind Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For This is the word of God whose law we delight in and in whose salvation we long for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you have given to us freely this morning. We pray that your spirit would teach us at this time so that we might understand the things that have been freely given to us here in this passage. Father, we do pray that you would show us what brotherly love looks like. We do pray that you would show us our hearts and where we've gone astray, most of all, Father, we pray that You would show us Your glory so that by knowing You more, we might love You more and serve You more faithfully in this world. Work among us as Your people, we pray, as You have promised, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, Peter has shown us, already in verse 8, the attitude that we're supposed to have if we are to love one another. And loving one another looks like having attitudes of humility and cooperation. It looks like having attitudes of tenderness and sympathy towards each other. And all that is great, but what happens when someone isn't humble towards us? What happens when someone is obstinate? What happens when someone in the body of Christ is cruel and callous towards us rather than tender and sympathetic? How ought we to respond? Because we know from elsewhere in Scripture if we don't respond correctly then that wrongdoing that happened to us will be passed on as leaven in a loaf. So how do we respond correctly in a way that spreads love among the body of Christ, not wrongdoing? How ought we to respond? Well, that brings us to Peter's second point, which is the answer of loving one another in verse nine. After Peter encourages us to have this tender heart and humble mind towards each other and the brother in the body of Christ, he says this: "Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. In other words, Peter recognized that even among believers, not everyone would listen to verse 8. Not everyone would choose to pursue the brotherly love that they possessed and seek from God a deeper attitude of loving one another, at least not immediately and definitely not continually. See, the reality is that we have to set this whole passage up with, the reality is every single one of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, are, we're going to wrong each other. We're going to wrong those that we're supposed to love. It's the sobering reality of who we still are, and we're already seeing this in 1 Peter, right? Even though we're elect, we're still exiles. Even though we're saints, we're still sinners, And so because we're still on this side of glory and have not yet seen Christ and been perfected in our Christ-likeness, every single one of us are going to wrong the very people that God has called us on to love here on earth. We're going to wrong them rather than love them. Now by God's grace, hopefully that wrong will be in a small way, not in a big way. It'll be done unintentionally, not intentionally. It'll be quickly repented of rather than just ignored or justified. And it will be rare in happening rather than the characteristic of your life and all of your relationships. And you know, listening to verse 8 and developing an attitude of humility and tenderness towards loving one another helps a lot with that. So that hopefully by God's grace, Christians, we as Christians and members of Grace Chapel would be known by our spirits of humility and cooperation, our spirits of tenderness and sympathy. That's what we're aiming for. But nevertheless, the reality is that we who are brothers and sisters in Christ are a family. And those of you who have lived in a family, and all of you have, you know that sometimes family members don't treat each other the way that they ought to. I'm reminded of this every single day. I don't know how many of you, uh, how many times, as a parent, I have rushed into a room after hearing a child crying only to find out that one sibling was mean to the other sibling. And then because the first kid was mean... The second kid was mean right back to them. And pretty soon you got this whole mess on your hands that you're having to sort through as a parent. Okay, who hit who first, right? So what are you as a parent going to do? Well, you're going to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord as Ephesians 6-4 commands, and you're going to do exactly what Peter does here in 1 Peter chapter 3. You're going to take that first kid aside, and you're going to say, Hey, verse 8. You need the attitude of love towards one another, right? You need to love your brother. Stop being mean. Be tenderhearted. And that means not hitting him over the head, right? And then you're going to take that second child and say, hey, verse 9, you need to have the right answer of love towards your brother. Just because he's mean towards you doesn't give you the opportunity to be mean right back. Break it up. Have the right attitude. Have the right answer. Love one another. And you do that a lot more, gently." spread out but anyway so i totally get what peter's doing here i get it i get it as a scripture writer peter right now is the mouthpiece of our heavenly father and our heavenly father is speaking to his family made up of children who don't always act the way that we should and so what do we do when we're that second child what do we do when our brother and sister in Christ suddenly hurts us instead of loves us? How should we respond? Well, Peter tells us. He says this, do not repay evil for evil and that word do not repay is in the present tense here which means peter is saying stop doing this stop repaying evil for evil in other words peter already knows that this is going to be our natural inclination and bent he already knows that apart from god's grace and truth that's made available to us in christ jesus we're already headed mentally in that direction of responding to evil with evil because that's just who we that's just who we used to be as Scripture teaches over and over again in Mark seven twenty one, Romans 1, 30, Romans 2, verse 9, Titus 1:12, we used to be beastly in our evil. We used to bring forth evil thoughts from our hearts, invent evil plans with our minds, and perform evil deeds from our hearts. We lusted after and we sought after evil, and we repaid evil for evil. But now that we've been born again... Peter's telling us we need to stop doing that because it betrays the saving, transforming gospel that we profess. As 3 John 11 says, Whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not even seen God. We who have, as chapter 2, verse 3 says, tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we should have nothing to do with evil. Now, what is evil? Now that word "evil" is "kakos" in the Greek, and it means of a bad moral nature or disposition. And it's often used as a synonym in Scripture for inflicting harm on someone. And so what Peter's saying is when you are harmed or mistreated by even another believer who's acting in that moment like an unbeliever towards you, don't respond in kind. Don't retaliate. Don't seek to harm them in return. Don't repay their evil with evil. Paul writes about this himself over in Romans 12, verses 17 through 19. When he writes, repay no one evil for evil. Don't ever do it ever. Don't start thinking to yourself, I'm going to get back at them. Oh, I'm going to make them pay. Rather, give thought as to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You will say, you don't understand. What if they maliciously hurt me? What if they purposely went after me? Don't I get to retaliate in some way so that they can feel the pain that they've inflicted on me? Nope. Verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. That is pretty clear. No exceptions given. We are never to repay evil for evil. We are never to seek to harm another human being, especially another brother or sister in Christ who has harmed us. Now, I could just move on and be like, All right, that's good. Nope. As a quick side note, I need to clarify. There are two major ways that believers often seek to repay evil for evil and inflict harm on another believer who has wronged them. From pastoral experience, this is what I've seen. One is through the direct presence of wrong actions. Now that's pretty self-evident, right? Don't do that. But what I've seen more often is through the indirect absence of right actions some people call this passive aggression i just call it sin the sin of not loving one another and speaking from pastoral experience again this is the form that you most often see in churches you know what it looks like well you hurt me so i'm not going to talk to you at church anymore you sit on that side of the sanctuary i'll sit on this side You hurt me, so I'm not going to invite you to this get-together that we used to always go together with. You hurt me, so I'm going to ignore you. I'm not going to have anything more to do with you because you hurt me. And rather than work on reconciliation, I want you to feel the pain of the lost relationship. What do we call that? Repaying evil for evil. Such actions are antithetical to our new birth and the love of Christ that we're supposed to be reflecting towards each other. As Romans 13.10 says, love does no evil. And if that's not enough, First 1 Corinthians 13.5 says this, love thinks no evil. Love doesn't even think about how to get back at someone or make them feel harm. It doesn't repay evil for evil. Or, Peter goes next, reviling for reviling. So here Peter goes beyond evil actions and he moves on to evil words. Do not repay, Peter says, reviling for reviling. Now we've seen that word before earlier in 1 Peter, and it means to verbally assault or rail against someone else. It's the idea of lashing out, someone lashing out at you and saying cruel and bitterly angry words towards you. And Peter's saying here that when someone, even another believer, angrily lashes out at you, You are not to respond to them in kind. It doesn't belong to your new nature. So when your spouse says something short to you, and you've got that really clever and cutting retort right on the tip of your tongue, Peter says, bite it. Don't respond in kind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. You say, well, well, then what am I supposed to do then? Am I just supposed to sit there as a lump on the log and just receive it? Just do nothing? The answer is actually no. No, we as believers, we're actually to respond to others when they mistreat us. We are to actually give an answer when people revile us, but probably not the answer that's going to immediately come to your mind. Here's the answer that we're supposed to give. Peter says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary in opposition to this bless bless she's showing the saving goodness of christ in this world in a way that captivates the hearts and minds of unbelievers it means way more than just abstaining from evil in our everyday lives it actually means pursuing what is good in the face of opposition And so rather than responding to someone's evil or reviling with bitterness or even just with silence, God calls us here to respond positively with blessing. You're to bless those who revile you. You're to do good to those who do evil against you. As Paul says in Romans 12 verse 14, bless and do not curse them. You say, well, wow, where in the world did Peter come up with such an extreme idea like that? The answer is Jesus himself. (laughs) Over in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 31, Jesus says this, Love your enemies. Do good for those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Unless you think that blessing that he's calling on us is only verbal, Jesus continues by saying, If anyone takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. As you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. See, in response to the constant bitterness that we see in this world around us, we are to be fountains of constant blessing in our character, conduct, and conversation. Fountains of blessings in the face of bitterness. This is how we shine as lights in this world and even as lights to each other. When people are mean to us, we're kind to them. When they're planning evil against us, we are praying down good for them. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. In the face of bitterness, those who follow Christ bless. You know what that shows me? At least the first area of my life that it speaks to is this. It means that if you want to be used by God to draw others to Jesus Christ, then you've got to be someone who doesn't hold on to grudges. When someone has an evil disposition towards you, you are not to have one towards them. And when someone spouts angry words at you, you don't have angry words to reply with. Rather than holding on to bitterness and grudges, Christians are to be marked by a freedom from such things. A freedom from bitterness and a freedom to blessings. As first Thessalonians five fifteen says, see to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Be fountains of blessings in the face of bitterness. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless why, for to this you were called, that you may receive a blessing. Peter says that we ought to give this answer a blessing in the face of bitterness because we as believers have been called to give this type of answer. And we don't have to look far to find that calling. Look back to chapter 2, verse 21 and following. Peter writes, For to this you have been called. The exact same phrase. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And what is Jesus' example that we're to follow? Verse 22 and 23. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges judges. Do you see the connection? We're not to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, in opposition to that, we're supposed to bless because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Do you see that? Jesus never repaid evil for evil. He is never going to look at a moment in your life where you committed sin against him and say, in that one instance, I'm going to make Zach pay. He never says that every sin he's ever looked on that i've ever committed he said i'll take that payment because i want zach to be blessed he turned every act of bitterness i've ever done and turned it around to bless me that's christ that's christ no bitterness no grudging grace Divine and supernatural grace. He never repaid reviling for reviling. He always blessed. Even as he was hanging on the cross, what did he cry out? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus is our great example of what to do when someone wrongs us, and where to follow in His steps. And just as Hebrews 12 teaches, look to Jesus and see that n- no root of bitterness grows in your heart. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called. And when we do this, when we show this type of blessing in the face of bitterness, we show just as Jesus says in Matthew five forty one, 5.45. That we are sons of our Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on both the just and the unjust. In short, when we choose to bless our brothers and sisters in Christ who harm us, when we choose to pardon them rather than to make them pay, we are reflecting the very glory and goodness of the Lord to those who are lost. And so, this is what Jesus means when he tells us to love one another. He means we ought to have the attitude of loving one another, one of humility and tenderness. And he means to have an answer of love towards one another, one of blessing and not bitterness. So what are some practical ways if you recognize, okay, here's this relationship, and I recognize that I have a spirit of bitterness towards this person rather than blessing. How can we start turning that around? First way, look at Christ. It always starts there. Consider his spirit of love towards you. You must love one another. Look to Christ. Second way you can bless those that you're being tempted to be bitter towards, second practical way, pray for them. Every day. Seriously, that's part of your homework. (laughs) If there's someone that you're recognizing, I am having a bad attitude towards, I am not loving them like I should, write down their name and pray for them every single day that the Lord would bless them spiritually. And you know what? After a while, as I've seen the Lord work in my own heart, pretty soon you're convicted. God, do you want me to be the blessing in their life? Look to Christ. Look to prayer. And then I would finally say this. Look to giving. Look to giving. I keep on thinking of Jesus' words when uh, when he says, where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. Maybe it would be a good thing to think about those that you're struggling with bitterness with. You say, maybe I should give them a gift. Maybe I should start directing my heart towards them by sending some treasures their way and giving them a blessing. It could be something as simple as An anonymous gift left in a mailbox. Start sending them a gift. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Guiding your heart by giving, by the gospel, by prayer, away from bitterness and towards love. These are three practical ways that we can take the evil and the reviling that's coming our way, and we can, in opposition to that, bless in those tangible ways. The gospel, prayer, and giving. I want to finish, finally, with where I started this morning, and that's here. We can only give the right answer of love towards one another if we first have a right heart of love towards one another. As Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks... And so we can only have a mouth of blessing if we first have a heart of blessing. This is what Spurgeon said about it. Every man gives according to what he has. He who gives curses probably gives them because he has much cursing in him. You can always tell what a man is like by noticing what comes out of him. If he curses, it's because curses abound in him. But you are to, be, you are to give blessing to others because you have inherited so much blessing from Christ. Therefore, your whole tone, temper, spirit, language, and actions should be the means of blessing to others. You know, he's absolutely right. We who have trusted in Christ have been blessed, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, like with God's own mercy and forgiveness and kindness and patience and goodness and peace. And we who have experienced those blessings in Christ, we ought to pass them on. We ought to be the source, not of bitterness, but of blessings to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if you recognize this morning that you need to grow in this, and newsflash, we all do, (laughs) then whether in general or in a specific relationship, you know God's calling for a change, like towards your spouse or your kids or your parents or your siblings or your coworkers or your boss or your fellow church member. If you recognize that what's been coming out of your life, if you recognize that what's been coming out of your mouth recently, is evil and reviling and causing hurt and harm to another person, even a believer, and not loving those whom Christ loves, whom Christ has called us to love, then you need to pray, because only God can bring this change. We need to pray, God, give me this week a heart of humility and tenderness, a heart of blessing, not bitterness, so that I may be a blessing even to those who are bitter against me. Give me the very attitude and answer of Christ himself, the attitude and answer of love. If you do, and we're going to find out next week, God absolutely answers that prayer. You will obtain that blessing, the very heart of Christ. But until then, this is the word of God from 1 Peter 3.9 which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in the fervent care of responding to each other in love this week for the glory of God until Christ who is our eternal blessing returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And I thank you for how it shows us the glory of jesus we thank you father that he was not someone who repaid evil with evil and he was not someone who responded to reviling with reviling but in the contrary he blessed so that we would receive a blessing father i pray that you would help us this week to follow in in christ's steps father i I pray that you would help us as families first and foremost. If there is ongoing bitterness between spouses here this morning, Father, I pray that you would equip, equip the spouses here, the husbands and the wives, to confess that sin to each other, to repent and to commit to being blessings to each other's lives. Father, I pray that you would be with the parents here today who perhaps have not had attitudes or answers of love towards their children lately. Father, I pray that You would help them, give them grace to repent, to confess that sin to their children. Father, I pray that You would be with the children who are here this morning, who perhaps have not been fountains of blessing towards their parents, but rather bitterness, committing acts of evil and reviling. Father, I pray that You would convict their hearts, Help them to be fountains of blessing by your grace this week to their family. And I pray for all of us, all of us, and all of our relationships towards those who are closest to us. When those who are nearest and dearest to us wrong us and harm us, Father, help us to be so filled with the attitude and answer of Jesus that in the face of evil and reviling, there would come out of our hearts blessings rather than bitterness. Help us to reflect the glory and the goodness of our Lord and Savior in this way this week. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.